It's time for the moment you've been waiting for. You're listening to Getting Bullied, a Flyers hockey podcast. Now crank it up and rip the knob. Boy, that escalated quickly. Podcast partner of Philly is Flyer.com. This is Getting Bullied. Mark Giannone and Dan Silver, the dynamic duo, back with you again. Dan, what's going on? It's been a, it's been a week. How you been? Uh, it's good, man. It's good. I hear we've got like some weather coming our way or something. I work from home, so I'm like out of touch on this stuff. But I, I someone was telling me uh, in central PA they're going to get like uh, seven inches, and I guess we're going to get some weather down in DC. Uh, what's this? What's the scene up in Philly? Are people running around buying all the stuff from the stores, or is there not supposed to be a lot of action? Um, I, th- I heard earlier that it's supposed to be like a wintry mix, so it's going to be like rain and snow. People freak out over everything. It wouldn't be, su- it wouldn't surprise me if they're going out and getting, you know, the bread and the milk. Um, buying all know. the four, four wheelers or the, uh, yeah, yeah. four wheel drive cars. Right, right. It sucks for me. Cause I, you know, got to drive around all day for work. So that, that's a whole separate issue that nobody yeah. really cares about or wants to get into. Um, they care. you know, we all care about your well being and safety. Well, I appreciate that very much. I really do. But we all care more about the well-being of the Philadelphia Flyers. And since we last spoke a week ago, um, three games have happened. They went 2-1, and one, overtime win against the Coyotes, a shutout win, first shutout win of the season on Saturday against the um, fledgling Blackhawks. And then last night, a game that I really had a lot of confidence in when I woke up in the morning. Um just, I mean, I know the way the Flyers played the last game against Florida was shaky to say the least, but I expected, with the way they've been playing, with the streak that they've been on, I expected them to win that game last night. Um, once again, a bit of a lackluster performance by the team. Came on strong at the end in the third to come within one, but ultimately wasn't enough. Dropped it two to one. Um, so, I mean, what do you? What have you seen in the last week? These three games, obviously a dominant performance on Saturday against the Blackhawks. But what have you seen overall as far as where the Flyers are from last week to today? Yeah, I mean, I still see an upswing with this team, and I, I thought that the, the games this week were, uh, you know, the the problem continues to be that they just have periods during the game where they're not, for whatever reason. Uh, playing the way that they're capable of playing. And look, no team is going to be playing their best at all times, but it just, it seems to be exacerbated with this team. I mean, the the first game against Arizona uh, last, I think it was, what was it, last Thursday? Um, you know, they, uh, they came out and they scored one of the prettiest goals that we've seen from them in a while, the, the, the goal that Travis Konechny scored from Giroux and Couturier, uh, just a thing of beauty. And then Scott Lawton scores four minutes later and the Flyers are up two to nothing. And it's all these same things that we saw on the road trip where they were scoring first and playing well in the first period. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, Arizona scores a power play goal, of course, because the Flyers have the worst penalty killing in the NHL, worse than the Ottawa Senators. Um, then in the second period, the Flyers give up a goal two minutes in, and then the Flyers go on the power play, and Arizona, who has uh, leads the league in shorthanded goals, scores not one, but two <laughs> shorthanded goals in the span of 24 seconds. All of a sudden, Arizona's up 4-2. to two. The second one was the one where the puck kind of got uh, caught up in the linesman's skates, and, and Shane Gostisbehere couldn't get it out, and it led to a breakaway, and people were complaining, oh, the linesman, this is horrible. And I'm thinking if, if Shane Gossesbear could have kept the puck in at the point, we wouldn't have to worry about it. So I wasn't as concerned about the linesman thing. But So anyway, the Flyers go into the third period down 4-2, to two, and they played a great period. They got goals from Scott Lawton and then the improbable breakaway goal from Dale Weiss. I mean, you could have timed Dale Weiss's skating from the center line to when he took that shot with a calendar. That's how <laughs> slow he was going. But he somehow managed to roof – a, uh, a puck and uh, the Flyers ended up taking it to overtime and in overtime Shane Gossespierre with a really nice one-timer that ended up getting deflected and going top cheese as as Gossespierre said on the post-game interview gave the Flyers the win so they won the game but they had you know some some 
real errors in terms of execution on the power play and giving up power play goals. So, you know, it was a win. Um, and at times they, they played really well at the beginning and they played well at the end. And then, the, I mean, the Blackhawks are just a dumpster fire right now. So mm-hmm. I was not surprised that the Flyers shut them out. But one of the good signs is the Brian Elliott really seems to be coming on strong. And even the game last night against Florida, two nights ago, depending on when the listeners are going to hear this, um, Elliott was good against Florida, even though the Flyers lost. And so he's been, you know, Brian Elliott's been been really good recently. And maybe it's just taken him time to get back to his the level he's capable of after the offseason uh, surgery. So I'm very, was very happy with Brian Elliott's play. And look, they came out and they beat the Blackhawks soundly. And that's what they had to do. And, you know, I'm not that disappointed with last night's game. I mean, the Florida Panthers came into the game riding a winning streak of their own. They're a pretty good team. They play very well defensively. And they they were really able to kind of stifle the Flyers for two periods. And then the Flyers came out in the third period and played very well. Got a huge push. uh, A really nice goal from Jake Voracek. And basically, Roberto Longo kept the Panthers on top in the third period because he made some incredible saves on the Flyers forwards. And uh, so, you know, they lost two to one last night. I wasn't all that upset about it. It certainly wasn't as bad as some of the losses they've had this season. So I continue to see an upward trajectory from this team and, and we'll get into it a little bit later on, but there's, you know, coaching decisions that seem to be finally going the way that the, the fans want. So, you know, I was, uh, I was encouraged with this past week of play. What, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, we're finally seeing a lot of what we thought we were going to see from this team, you know, at the beginning of the season. Well, before the season started, anyway. Um, you know, the, we know this team has a lot of potential. We know they have a lot of talent. And something happened in that West Coast road trip that they came off of that sparked something inside them. And we know how they were playing before that. It was dreadful, really. And, you know, after that road trip, they really started to pick it up and they started to have some continuity as a team they started really playing more complete games um you know the the thing that was a lot that was really encouraging to me was the game against the Blackhawks because what separates teams like the Flyers from teams like the Blackhawks and the Blackhawks are at the bottom end of the league right now the Flyers are somewhere right in the middle and what you do to teams that are below you is you beat them handedly, and that's what the Flyers did. And that was encouraging because so many times we've seen the Flyers come out against teams that are beneath them, aren't as skilled as them, aren't as talented as them, and the Flyers don't show up. So to come out in that game against the Blackhawks, a team that they should have beat and beat them the way they did, is really encouraging, especially when you, and you mentioned it, when you see the play of Brian Elliott, who we know his injury history last year, his recovery in the offseason, we saw him in preseason training camp, beginning of the season, looked like a guy that was struggling to get healthy. You know, he missed a couple games uh, already with with some stuff, and for him that was a huge game because he needs all the confidence he can get as, you know, that, olding, that older goalie that is, you know, recovering still, and... That was probably the most encouraging thing for me of the whole week is we've seen flashes like that from Brian Elliott before, not just with the Flyers, but with other teams where he could really carry a team. He can play well enough for a team to string a few wins together. And early in the season, he had games where he kind of had to stand on his head a little bit because the defense in front of him was so bad. Now everything's starting to catch up and everything's kind of starting to even out as far as play of the offense, play of the defense, play of the goaltending. If Brian Elliott can keep doing what he did um, against Chicago, and I'm not saying shutouts every night, but play at a high enough level, the Flyers are going to be in most of the games that they play. And now, something that hasn't really, or we didn't bring up yet, and a guy that I honestly kind of forgot about a little bit, James Van Riemsdyk, they're saying could come back as early as Thursday, and that's huge for the Flyers, because, you know, the reason you got him was because he was a 35-goal scorer last year, that's why he was the second-highest contract signed in the offseason under John Tavares. The Flyers went out and got him because they needed that scoring depth, they needed that front, that top six scoring and you know it was 
really unfortunate for him to go down with the injury, but now that he's coming back, and he's coming back at the absolute right time for the Flyers because they have things clicking for them right now, and he can come if he can come back and be what we expect him to be, then the Flyers are going to take this thing to an even another level, and if the goaltending keeps up where it is right now, then I think the next month the Flyers are going to probably come out of, you know, come out going into January, we'll say, above 500 and well above 500 and firmly in the playoff picture. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously you're getting a guy who scored 36 goals last year back in James Van Arene. It seems like they signed him to a $7 million uh, five-year contract, $7 million a year. And uh, he's, he's scored 25-plus goals in four out of the last five seasons. And the only one he didn't was a, a season he only played 40 games. So, you know, you, you are uh, – we're get, getting a very good goal scorer back. He's going to be, be fitting in on the third line with Wheel and Wayne Simmons. I mean, I have some mixed thoughts on that. Do you want to be paying a guy $7 million a year to play on your third line? Right. But there's really nowhere else to put it because Claude Giroux is the first line left winger. And Oscar Lindblom has been so good with Nolan Patrick and Jake Voracek that you, you don't want to break up that trio. So James Rand Reemsdijk is kind of left on the third line. Uh, he is going to be on the top power play unit. So the, the Flyers power play, which has been one of their strong suits in recent years, is 28th in the league. That is not good. And... Dave Haxtell on the road trip had switched things up a little bit. He'd taken Voracek and Simmons off the top power play and put uh, Travis Konechny and Nolan Patrick on that first power play unit. It just it hasn't worked. And so now they're going to be trying a new power play formation where Voracek is going to replace Konechny on the top unit and JVR is going to replace Nolan Patrick uh, and where Wayne Simmons was. So JVR is going to be on that top power play unit. So hopefully that'll help that power play unit get going and he can make an impact there. But yeah, it's a it's a big plus for this team to get Ram Van Riemsdyk back. He's either going to be back Thursday or Saturday. So it's, uh, it's, it's all good news there. And I agree. I think that, look, the Flyers have a tough schedule coming up in November and December. I mean, they, they've, you know, they're playing... Um, Tampa this weekend, Toronto next weekend. They've got the Penguins, the Blue Jackets, Winnipeg, Calgary, Nashville, just looking at their schedule. They're on a road trip to close out the season. But, yeah, I think that they should probably finish out the 2018 calendar year as an above 500 team. Yeah, and what's – I mean, what's helped them going into the game against Tampa on Saturday is – they play Thursday against the Devils, who um, I, I would imagine are a huge disappointment to this point of the season. They've lost six of their last seven. They beat the Penguins the last time out, but they have not played well before that. They are currently sitting in dead last in the Eastern Conference standings. Um, now, dead last doesn't mean all that much when you look at the fact that you know the Flyers and the Devils are separated by four points, but... Even so, this is a game, again, that the Flyers are playing a team that's struggling right now, that they're better than, that they, you know, they're above in the standings, that they probably have a bit more talent than. Um, and this is a game that if they could really come out, and if they could have the same type of performance that they had against Chicago on Saturday, then going into a big matchup this Saturday against a very good Tampa Bay Lightning team, you know, you could, you could potentially steal that game from Tampa you know it's in your building and they're coming or the Flyers rather would be coming off of a win hopefully a dominant win if they could get this against the Devils and I don't see any reason why they can't because they had a really strong third period last night against Florida so if you build on that but and I know they've struggled to do that in the past but if they can build on that and take that into this game against New Jersey and then they take that. See, it's all just compounding. And it, sports is funny like that. You know, just like you compound losses, you know, you let things get to you. You let it weigh on you. Wins can kind of compound the same way. Strong performances can compound the same way. A strong performance in the third period, carry that over to a strong game against New Jersey and a win. And now you're going in full head of speed 
um, against Tampa Bay, a game that, you know, again, Tampa should, should on paper, beat the Flyers. But, you know, you get those funky 1 o'clock afternoon um, you know, home games that it's hard, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult for the road team to come in. They're out of their element. Now they're playing at one in the afternoon. So everything is pushed up six hours from what it normally would be. And, you know, the Flyers, I think potentially, and again, a lot of it has to do with the play of the goaltending. And I don't see any reason why the Flyers can't score because they're doing it so well right now. Um, before last night, they had five against, I mean, if you just look at the games before last night where they were only able to get one, they had five against L.A., they had three against San Jose, five against Arizona twice in back-to-back games, and then four against Chicago. So the Flyers are scoring in bunches right now. They just, you know, they ran into a hot Florida team last night and a hot goaltender, Roberto Luongo, who could go back to old Roberto Luongo at any time, and so... Right now, the Flyers are playing prop. They're definitely their best hockey of the season. I don't see any reason at all why they shouldn't beat the Devils tomorrow. And I may be calling for the upset on Saturday against Tampa. You you mentioned uh, afternoon games and anything can happen. So I've got a. a uh, I'm going to go off on a tangent here for a second. In all a right, former life, I was a play by play hockey announcer, mm-hmm. and I was playing for a, a team that was basically a double A equivalent. And the guys like to drink a little bit. Um, <laughs> with this particular season, the team went something like ten and seventy. It was uh, it was probably one of the worst teams in the history of professional hockey. And so we had uh, there was a, we had a, a game in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and we lost ten nothing. The game was at like seven o'clock at night. So that Saturday night we get hammered, and we've got about an eight hour drive back to St. Louis where our, our game was the next day at one in the afternoon mm-hmm. so we're going to get back to st louis probably you know around 5 6 a.m and the guys have a game to play in five hours so as always the first stop uh, on the way back from kalamazoo was the local beer store and every i'd say probably for every two players they got a case of beer so you're looking at all the players are probably drinking 10 to 12 beers each on the bus ride back nice so we get we show up at 5, 6 a.m. back to Missouri. I'd say that probably half the players are just hammered, just drunk. And the game's at 1 o'clock. We're playing against the best team in the league. So I get a, I get about four hours sleep. I come back to the arena. And I'm guessing that probably half the players or a quarter of the players are still drunk. And the ones that aren't drunk are probably hung over. And I'm watching, we had about 4,000 people at that game, and I'm like, oh, these these people pay their hard-earned money to watch a, a team that is hungover and drunk play hockey. And this is a professional game. And uh, we played, honestly, one of our best games of the season. We actually didn't win. I think we lost like 2-1 to one or something. But it was one of the best efforts that the team had, and they were drunk, hungover, whatever. And I, I always remembered that because it was, uh, I just remember sitting there doing play-by-play for that game and just couldn't really believe what was going on. Um, I'm not suggesting that the Lightning... Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm not suggesting that the Lightning are going to show up drunk for the game, but you just never know. Um, well, the Getting Bully guys but, should get our money together and send a couple of uh, ladies of the evening to the Tampa Hotel. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not going to touch that one. But um, what was I going to say? Uh yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of positive signs, and one of the positive signs today was that it looks like Yori Leterre is going to get scratched, right? So James Andrews like is coming back to the lineup, which means that someone is not going to play. And most people assumed it was going to be Nicholas Alve Cubell, and Nicholas Alve Cubell, for my money, has been very good in the limited five minutes and thirty nine seconds of ice time that he's had per game. He's played in seven games now. He's a young kid who last year he was top six in the AHL and even strength points. And I thought he would fit in really well on the fourth line for this team because he plays with an edge. He's good defensively. He can add some goals every time and again. And uh, it looks like they're going to keep him in the lineup, which is a very un-Dave Haxtell-like move. And instead, they're going to scratch Yuri Laterra, who has been the veteran that, that Haxtell seems to like having in the lineup late in games when the Flyers are winning. So I, that, that's a good sign for me that 
Albert Cubell hopefully is going to be in the lineup and Laterra is not. Combine that with the fact that Andrew McDonald has now been scratched for, I don't know, 10, 11 games in a row based on performance. And I think that that is a, uh, that, that honestly gave me a lot of cause for optimism because there's been a lot of, a lot of shatter among Flyers fans recently of kind of this group that feels that when the Flyers are winning, it's actually counterproductive because it's, it's creating a situation where it's less likely that Dave Haxtell gets fired. And a lot of Flyers fans think that he simply is not the right head coach for this team. And, you know, I still have my reservations about Dave Haxtell, but I'm not going to root against the team. And look, we all, everyone is able to grow as a person throughout their life. And maybe Dave Haxtell is going to improve on some of the things that drive us Flyers fans crazy. And so the fact that he's scratching Laterra uh, is is something that I think a lot of fans are optimistic about. So that's just another reason to be a little bit optimistic about this team right now. Yeah, I've really seen the negativity, and winning does that, but I've seen the negativity kind of go away from the fans. Um, yesterday I put a tweet out on the show's Twitter, at underscore getting bullied, you know, just kind of gauging, you know, taking the temperature of the fans. And I got, you know, you get the people that say not expecting much and things like that. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, we we were, you know, we were, it was like all hands on deck. It was, we were sounding alarms, doing everything, and the fan base was fed up, and there were people just actively rooting against the Flyers, which for this fan base, it's 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 very, it's not, you know, it's it's almost unheard of to, to, to even say that, but it's what was happening. And you still see some of the people that say, you know, Oh, I want the Flyers to win, but that just means another day of Dave Haxtell. Well, more than likely, Dave Haxtell, well, we, we've said it in the past, it's not really worth going back into, but Dave Haxel's not going anywhere, at least not this season. And you're absolutely right. Look, for as much as we're going to rip the guy in the past and probably in the future when he does boneheaded things, we have to praise him, or not praise him, but we have to give him his kudos when they are due. And the fact that Andrew McDonald has not been in a lineup because he played so poorly when he was. And the fact that Christian Fullen has played pretty solid in, in as a replacement for him. The fact that Dave Haxall sees that, recognizes it, and is going forward with it is encouraging. And the same thing with Nicholas Abe-Kubel. If he's the one that remains in the lineup and it's Yuri Laterra who you know, by and large is a fringe NHL player at this point in his career, you know, if he leaves in the young promising player who is playing solid hockey for his team, and then the, you know, when James Van Riemsdyk comes back, then you have to give Dave Haxtell credit there. He's not leaning on these guys that he's leaned on in the past. He's seeing growth from a young player like Albe Kubel. He's seeing good play from a guy like Christian Folwin, and he's not, you know, hitting a panic button when Andrew McDonald's sitting up in the press box and, you know, there's a roster spot that, that you know, needs to be opened up, and he's not saying, all right, I just have to go with the guys that I feel most comfortable with. You can kind of feel, you know, maybe he's stepping out of his comfort zone a little bit and really starting to feel out to see what exactly he has on this team. And that's only going to mean good things for the Flyers, obviously. I mean, you want to play your best players. And the fact of the matter is, Andrew McDonald, Yuri Laterra, and even Dale Weiss, they're not your best players. So you need less of them, if not none of them, and more of the guys that have promise and have the ability to help your team. Albe Kubel right now, I mean, he's still very young in his career. I would imagine that if he play, if he keeps playing at the level that he is, if he keeps playing well, his minutes are going to go up eventually. I mean, you, you can only be on the team so long and have less minutes than Dale Weiss. So eventually... Dave Axel, this this thing, this you know, conversion with him isn't going to happen overnight. But slowly but surely, you're starting to see him realize what he has in his players, and I think eventually, Albeku Bell should be playing more than Dale Weiss. Um, Yuri Leter will be an afterthought, and Andrew McDonald really kind of already is because I've kind of forgotten that he was even a guy, and that's good. The fact that we're not bitching about. Andrew McDonald is an, is a great thing. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to give a nice little you know three clap for Dave Axel because it seems like he's starting to do the right things, and that should be very encouraging to this fan base at least for this year. 
Yeah, now, if he pulls the 180 tomorrow, we find out that his practice lines were kind of not correct and he, he is playing Leterre and scratching Nicholas Abe Kubel, then yeah. we can uh, go we're back on a phrase. But, you know, the, the thing is, one of my concerns with Hackstall has been that he's refusal to, like, put together a fourth line that's capable of actually scoring. And instead, he feels like he has to have these, like, older veteran fourth line defense only types of guys and that's just not the way to succeed in today's nhl and so if we could get a fourth line of nicholas alley kubel and lawton and i'll even take dale weiss at this point that's a step in the right direction because ultimately i don't think alley kubel is a top nine forward on this team i think he probably will be a fourth line player on the flyers but if you told me in a couple years that the fourth line you know was the David Cachet, uh, who's doing very well for the Phantoms in his first year, and Lawton and Albe Kubel, I'd be happy with that. Or if Vorobiev's going to end up being your fourth line center. Like, you know, I want there to be some talent on that fourth line. Now, one bone I do have to pick with Dave Haxtell, and it's, it's not a huge one because the reality is that neither Ivan Prorov nor Shane Gosper are playing all that well right now. But I still want to see those two guys paired together and and there's a, a couple reasons for that but one of them is you like you looked at the game um against the panthers and robert haig played i think he played like 22 minutes in that game and the flyers he's averaging 19 minutes a game and i'm sorry i like robert haig but the flyers are simply not going to get to the next level if robert haig is playing more than 22 minutes a game and he's playing 22 minutes a game because he's paired with Ivan Provorov. And they want to have Provorov out there a lot. But if you're going to pair Haig with him, then then that's a problem. And the same thing goes for Christian Folin or Folin. You know, he's playing over 17 minutes a game. And he's been fine. He's been a good defensive defenseman. But he, he shouldn't be playing that much. And I don't want him paired with Shane Gostis Bear. And the result then is that Travis Sanheim and Radko Gudis, who arguably you could say those two guys have been the Flyers' two best defensemen, they're being treated as the third pair. And the main reason for that is because they want Provorov and Ghost out there the most. So that's creating a problem. And I am hoping, I even, I tweeted out a little diagram last night. I got a little bit creative there uh, because I was watching the game last night and there was a moment where Ghost had the puck at the left point and he had wide open on the right point Christian Folan, and it was a perfect pass because Ghost is left-handed, Folan is right-handed, so he would have hit Folan right on his forehand, uh, and he could have made a decision on what to do with it. But instead, Shane forced a pass kind of diagonally to the far boards to try to get to Vorchek, but there were two Panthers in the way, and it got picked off, and it started an odd man rush the other way. And I'm like, you know, he had this easy pass available, and I'm thinking, you know, if that was Ivan Provorov, he probably makes the pass to him Mm -hmm. uh instead ghost is probably thinking hey do i really want to give the puck to christian Folan here and he didn't so you know it was a bad play by ghost and partly due to who his defense partner was so i really am hoping that at some point Provorov and ghost are back together and that hague and Folan's ice time can be reduced and we can see more ice time from gudis and travis sand because Travis Sandheim is averaging 16 minutes of ice time. He should be averaging more than Christian Fullen, and quite honestly, he should be averaging more than Robert Hake. Right. Um, <clears throat> I mean, just to go back real quick, because I was just looking, um, just going back to the lineup changes that are coming. And, you know, we mentioned the guy, you know, we mentioned Latera could be coming out. It'll be interesting, and we, we probably, we may have areas to rip, Hacksaw in a couple weeks because I completely forgot about Michael Raffle, who should be set to come back within the next few weeks. He got the injury on the 22nd of October, and they said four to six. So, I mean, within the next few weeks, his name's going to be start coming back up. So it'll be interesting again when he's available to see who the odd man out is. And it's even more imperative for Nicholas Albeck-Hubel to keep up his good play. But what you're saying about the about the defenseman, I mean, yeah, I understand from somewhat of 
you know, Dave Axwell's perspective and you want to kind of spread the wealth a little bit. You don't want to, you know, you don't want your best guys or two best defensemen on the top pair. I mean, I guess that's probably the way he looks at it. You want to spread those guys around a little bit, but uh, you know, the reverse side of that is, and it goes directly into what you said last night. And I read the tweet and it was spot on. If there's, there needs to be a certain, you know, cohesion. There needs to be a comfortability between defense partners. And if Shane Gossespierre doesn't trust who he's with, if he doesn't trust Christian Folan to give him a wide open pass, then that's a problem. And, you know, it, it could have been a huge problem last night because he forced a pass that got intercepted, odd man rush. I mean, if you do that enough times, eventually you're going to start, you know, those are going to start leading to goals. So, Again, Dave Axel didn't change overnight. He's still going to be doing some things that he believes are correct. But from 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 the where from where we stand, that I completely agree with you. Gossespair and Provorov being on the same line together was such. It was so big. It was they were so good together for that brief period of time when he had them on the same line. And they obviously, they like playing with each other. They're comfortable playing with each other. That's something that we would all like to see them go forward doing. But I just think that in his mind, he's saying, I can't have my two best defensemen up on the top pair because I don't trust the four guys beneath them enough to give them as many minutes as they they would be getting if the two guys are on the top line. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. No, I mean, look, I obviously I, I completely agree, and yeah. uh, we're looking at baby steps from from the coach, and it's difficult because these guys aren't playing very well, and that's one of the main problems with this team. You know, you're mm-hmm. expecting guys like Ivan Provorov and Shane Gossespierre to just be two of your best players every night, and they're not. And I don't know, still don't know what's going on with Ivan Provorov. I mean, he's just he doesn't look great out there and it's I'm starting to wonder maybe he is injured I I was thinking that maybe he was trying to do too much I I I honestly just don't know what's going on with him but maybe this is illustrative that you can't you know these young players even the ones that look so good like he did in his first few years you just never know what's going to happen I mean some guys stall out I'm certainly not saying that Ivan Provorov is going to stall out but is there a possibility that happens sure there's a possibility that it happens mm-hmm. I, again i don't think it's going to happen but it is a good lesson that the the development of these guys is not something that should be taken for granted and makes me that much more excited that we're seeing the kind of steps that travis and i'm and oscar Lindblom and nolan patrick are taking this season right. um and you know yeah i mean it's uh it's going to bear watching. I think this team's offense is really going to step it up here over the next little bit with JVR coming back. I still don't love Jordan Wheel on the third line as a center. I would really like to have a better offensive player with JVR. Uh, and Wayne Simmons has been a bit of a problem this year. I mean, he is certainly not doing himself any favors playing for that new contract. I mean, he's he's got seven goals, but he's only got three assists and only two power play goals. And I've, I've got to wonder if it's just taking him a little longer to get back from the surgery that he thought. So I, it's what happens with him is going to be interesting too. Yeah. I mean, he started off so hot to start the season and everyone thought that he's back to, you know, his 30 goal scoring ways. And I guess he could still get there, but you know, I mean, definitely from where he was the first couple of weeks to where he's kind of come to is you, you definitely see, um, a bit of a drop off, and it's amazing. You you mentioned the the play of Patrick Sanheim, Lindblom. It's amazing what happens when these guys are given a chance to play. They're given a chance to play every day, and they're you know there's nobody. It's not like there's nobody really behind them for you know nipping at their heels that they're worried about if I make a mistake or something that you know this guy's just going to be in the lineup for me the next time around. So you know that just. We all were screaming about it for so long, and, you know, he's kind of, I mean, eventually we knew that these were just going to be his guys, and, you know, he had to play them, and this is what happens when you play them, they get better, but you, we glossed over this earlier, 
and it was very brief, but when you mentioned the um, the overtime goal of Shane Gossespierre against Arizona the other night, and I wanted to just take time because and in a minute we're going to get to the captain because he doesn't get nearly enough praise, but what also I think is not talked about enough when it comes to the Flyers and when it comes specifically to Shane Gossespierre is his ability, his clutch ability, just in overtime, late in games, you have these certain players in sports as a whole that just the game slows down for them when the pressure is the highest. And we've seen this time and time again out of Shane Gossespierre. You know, if they're down a goal, if they're, you know, just trying to play keep away in their own zone, if they're up a goal, he's a guy that he's just so solid. He he has that ice water in his veins that you hear about so often. He always it's very rare that you'll see him make a bad play when the pressure is up. Whether it be I mean, we see him diving all over the blue line trying to keep the puck in the zone in overtime and late in games if they're down a goal. His clutch ability, and since and it's not anything new, it's since he came up from the Phantoms with the Flyers, and we saw his amazing rookie year, how many overtime goals he had in that year alone. And he's just a guy that, and thank God Dave Haxall sees it, but he's a guy that they rely heavily on, not only late in games, but in overtime especially, as a guy that he's just a workhorse in overtime. He is always he's all over the place. He's such a shifty guy. His offense ability is obviously off the charts. It's like having three forwards out there in overtime. And the good thing about him is as good as he is offensively, he is also that good defensively. So he could get back if there's, you know, if the the puck is misplayed or something. He can and he's fast. He can get back and chase the guy down. But Shane Gossespierre is, and those are the guys that you rely on in playoff series. The guys that just have that clutch ability. They have that gene that the pressure is up and everything in their mind is just even keel. And thank God for Shane Gossespierre in that way, because I think that part of his game isn't talked about all that often until he does it again. And then, you know, then it gets brought up, but you can't, you can't, or you can't underplay how big it is to have a player like Shane Gossespierre and his clutch ability on your team. I was going to say, it always makes me chuckle when I see people talking about how he's so good offensively, but he's not a good defensive player. And right. you look at the metrics and just watching him play, Shane Gossespierre is a very good defensive player. He's never going to be the kind of guy who stands someone up at the blue line with a big hit or uses physicality to make plays, but he his, doesn't have positioning that is typic- his positioning is typically pretty good. He's very good getting a stick in the way of shots. He's very good at anticipating plays, uh, cross-sides passes. He's very good at anticipating. So his defensive play is very underrated, which mm-hmm. is something that uh, is a bit of a shame because a lot of times people just assume that if there's a defenseman that is small and puts up a lot of points – that they're automatically not good at defense. But the reality is, is the Shane Gostas bear is, is a very good player in his own zone as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you're right. That's, that's what I think. That's what I think a lot of people think of when they think of defensive defenseman is the big guy that, like you said, it's going to stand people up at the line. He's never going to do that. He doesn't have the size for that. He doesn't have the strength for that, but what he makes up for in that is his positioning. And that's, that's so, really that's so much bigger than being the big, you know, burly guy on the blue line. That's just a rock back there. But as far as the captain goes, and this is this is somebody that us in Philadelphia realize the greatness. We see the greatness every game, every year. And for whatever reason, from a national perspective, he does not get the credit that he deserves. Now, he won third star of the week last week, which is great. But you saw. You know, even last year, 102 points, and you know, it was if it was up to Philadelphia, he would have been the MVP. Obviously, he didn't get it. And you know, from I guess I understand it a bit from a league perspective because not only in the NHL but in sports in general, so much of what brings weight in the conversation of great players both currently and all time is championships. And that's something that Claude Giroux obviously doesn't have. And he's going up against guys like, you know, Sidney Crosby, who has it, um, you know, 
Jonathan Taves, who has a couple, um, and now even Alex Ovechkin. So, but if you just, I mean, the numbers are there. If you just look at the numbers from when he entered the league to now, and he is in the conversation with some of with these guys that are considered the best players in this league. And I don't understand. Maybe it's because he's a flyer. Maybe, you know, maybe it's because he's not the flashy player. He's not, you know, making highlight reels, game in and game out. But damn it. I mean, Claude Giroux is one of the best players in the NHL. And year in and year out, people start to count him out. People expect the fall off because of his age. And it never comes. All he does is just go out and does his job and all he does is produce, and the league doesn't recognize it, and I have no idea why. Yeah, I mean, Claude Giroux finished second in the NHL last year with 102 points, and he didn't even get a sniff uh, for, you know, the league MVP. I mean, for my money, he absolutely was one of the three most valuable players in the league last year. And the guy that I always compare to, and I'm trying to bring up his numbers for a little bit of reference here, um, and you mentioned him as Jonathan Taze because everyone always talks about how phenomenal the player Jonathan Taze is and a great leader and, you know, one of the best players of, of this generation. And he's going in the, in the Hall of Fame. And let's compare the stats because they're a little bit similar. You know, Claude Giroux has played in 756 games and he's got 699 points, just trending just under a point a game. Uh, Jonathan Taze has played in 809 games which is more than Giroux, and he's got 688 points, which is fewer. So Claude Giroux has actually been a, a better point producer over the course of his career, and he's also been a really good leader. I mean, look, the Flyers have not won the Stanley Cup, but that's not on Claude Giroux. Uh, you know, they had some opportunities. Some of the teams that, that he was on, um, you know, had, uh, you know, okay shots to, to uh, you know, to try and uh, win a cup, but they just, you know, I guess the, uh, against the um, Blackhawks obviously was a, uh, the, the most disappointing one, but um, you know, Drew's career so far has been right up there with Jonathan Taze. He, look, he's not on the same level as a Sidney Crosby or an Alex Ovechkin. Uh, and he doesn't have the pure skill of a guy like a McDavid or even like a Nathan McKinnon. Uh, but uh, but he, you're right. He's completely underappreciated, and he's one of the main reasons that I hope that the Flyers are able to win a Stanley Cup because Claude Giroux deserves to be on a team that wins a cup because he's he's been one of the best athletes that Philadelphia has ever seen. Mm-hmm. You want to look at the points leaders in the, in the Flyers organization, and people have been talking about Giroux a lot recently because he just moved into fourth all time among Flyers. Uh, players. You got Bobby Clark, of course, with 1,210 points. No one's even close to him. Bill Barber's got 883. Brian Kropp's got 849. And then Claude Drew's right there with 699 points. He just moved ahead of Rick McLeish with 697. And last year, he moved ahead of Eric Lindros. So, you know, his place in this organization is solidified. And yeah, it would be nice if he could win a cup with this team and get the recognition he deserves. But I do like the fact that, you know, He's he's going to end his career with the Flyers most likely, and that's that's uh, something that shouldn't be taken lightly nowadays with guys changing teams a lot. But here's I'm, I want to bring I want to ask you a trivia question, and no okay. cheating. But I just <laughs> met, I just noticed it when I was looking at the uh, Flyers career leaders. Do you know what goaltender has the best goals against average and the best save percentage all time for the Flyers? Uh, Roman check monic. Correct. Very good. <laughs> Did I actually, I, this? I no, I actually, um, I was putting together a list of top, I think it was 15 flyers since 2000 earlier in the summer. Um, I was getting a lot of, you know, pushback because I put Steve Mason on the list and I had to look up where he ranked in, you know, in all-time Flyers records and Roman Monic's name kept coming up and I was I was shocked by it but that's the only reason why I know that because otherwise I probably would have you know you're going to go to either Hexall or Perrant when you say when you ask that Hexall's no nowhere even close to in, in the, uh, right. the he's not in the top 10 for save percentage or goals against average he's second in saves and first in wins but 
pure stats, he's not up there. Yeah, Chekmonic, 923 save percentage first. Incredible. Steve Mason, actually, second with a 918. Yep. And then Roma Chekmonic with a 1.96 goals against average. And, look, it's all relative because there were a lot more goals being scored back in the day, and goalie equipment was a lot smaller. So Bernie Perron's 917 save percentage and 2.43 goals against average are pretty damn impressive. But, look, the reason that we all fondly remember Bernie Perron aside from the volume that he played in, uh, is the Stanley Cups. And so that's you know goes right back to Claude Giroux, where it would be really nice for Claude Giroux to win the Stanley Cup because that will take him into the top echelon of Flyers players, mm-hmm. unlike guys like Brian Propp and Tim Kerr, who are great Flyers who are remembered very fondly. They never won a cup. And that's what uh, Claude Giroux would like to see him do. I kind of feel like with Claude Giroux, it might be a little different than those guys because Claude Giroux for, and not to take anything away from them, but Claude Giroux for, <clears throat> you know, for as full, as long as I can remember, has been pretty much far and away the best player on the Flyers. He was the captain of the Flyers, you know, for all this time now. So I think when it's all said and done, if he doesn't get the Stanley Cup, and look, so many times in Philadelphia sports and particularly with the Flyers, we you know, we get excited for the for the former player winning a championship and, you know, sort of the twilight of their career. You know, most recently, you know, you think of uh Kimo Timonen. I mean the list goes on and on, it's not worth getting into. But you know, for once you want it to be that you're you know, you're crying, you're you're shedding those tears of joy because the guy that you followed for so long, the guy that did so much for you, a fan, wearing the colors and the jersey of a team that you've, you know, lived and died with for, you know, your entire life, you want that guy to finally get that satisfaction that, you know his his proper due, finally for once, you want Claude Giroux to do that wearing a Flyers jersey. And you know, who knows what's going to happen down the line in the future. You know, if it gets to the point where, you know, he goes somewhere else and does it, great. We'll love it. But, you know, for once, you want it to be here. And if you ask me and you, and we've talked about it before, based on what's coming up the pipeline from the Phantoms, and, you know, even um, even beyond that, the guys that they just drafted this year in Joel Farabee and Jay O'Brien. Oh, by the way, been meaning to, to get this in here. In talking about Joel Farabee, yours truly, at the end of the month, is taking a flight up to Boston to take in the Boston Terriers, Boston University Terriers and Boston College Eagles game. So that I will get to finally see Joel Farabee in person. You know, not finally. He's so yeah. old. It's I know. Finally, you're gonna get to see him. I know. I mean, you've been wanting to see Joel Farabee play for like 15 years, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, at least like you know, th- four months. But he's he's <laughs> off to a you know, an okay start. He's got five points in seven games. We haven't talked about this though. I don't know if you saw. I mean, Jay O'Brien was concussed early in the season. He came back and apparently. Uh, another player, I, I don't know who they were playing against, but took a run at him like from cross rink and hit him up high, and now he's out again with probably another concussion. So it has not been a good start for Jay O'Brien in his collegiate career. And that kind of stuff gets my blood boiling when you talk about these concussions. Yeah. Well, I mean, perfect segue, and we could get into it because I wanted to. And the big story um, from a league perspective, well, other than – Today, the move that the Penguins made, which we can maybe touch on in a little bit, but um, the big story from the NHL's perspective as a whole came down, I believe it was Monday, um, that they, the league came to a settlement with the 319, I believe, former players that were in the class action lawsuit claiming that, and in my opinion, rightfully claiming that you know, brain injuries that they suffered playing the game has now affected them after the game. And, you know, we, we already know. We I, I did the interview with Nick Boyne. You know where guys that were in this class action, how they felt about the league and how the league handles head injuries and how they view head injuries as a whole. Um, and, you know, public enemy number one from that perspective 
is the commissioner, Gary Bettman, who, by the way, just got inducted into the Hall of Fame, which to me is totally undeserving, but whatever. Um, the, the thing that continues to stand out to me when, it, when, it, when I think of Gary Bettman and this concussion issue, and I brought it up to Nick Boynton, and by the way, if you guys want to hear the Nick Boynton interview from a couple months ago, it's on the podcast page of phileasflyer.com and on our SoundCloud, um, so you can check it out there. But I asked Nick Boynton because there was Gary Bettman did a he did an interview with WFAN up in New York, and the question was, you know, do you think the league is doing enough in the terms of concussions? And I, in so many words, Gary Bettman basically said, we feel like we're doing all that is appropriate. And I remember Nick Boynton just laughed when I read him that that statement. And that's basically what all we can do at this point is just left. Look, it, it, it's almost impossible to sit here and compare the NHL's concussion settlement to the to that of the NFL because the NFL is a much bigger league. They generate much more revenue. That was a $1 billion settlement the NFL had to pay out. The NHL is paying, um, what was it, $19 million? It was it's, it's minuscule compared to what the NFL had to do, but, you know, it's all comparative. It's... It is what it is. It's all relative to how much the leagues are making. But basically, what these players are going to be getting is $22,000. Each player will get upfront $22,000. The league has agreed to pay for neuropsychological testing and reimburse up to $75,000 in medical treatment expenses for qualified players. Um, I mean, $75,000. If we're talking about if, if a player has a major medical problem, you know, a major brain injury or anything, you can't sit here and tell me that the that $75,000 over however many years that they have this problem will be enough because it won't be. Eventually, there's going to have to be money coming out of these players' pockets and their families' pockets. And there's there's no they're not giving anything to the families if a player passes away or anything. And the NHL to me looks so bad in this settlement because, again, in the settlement, it was agreed upon that they don't have to acknowledge that the game of hockey is directly related to long-term brain injuries. And that is the worst part about all of this. And that is the worst part about it to these players that are part of this settlement. It's not the money for most of them. It's they want the league to recognize that there is a problem in their sport and the league will not do it. Now they've changed the rules immensely from where it was even 10 years ago. But when the guy at the head of the league is standing there and has time and time again said, there is no direct relation to brain injuries and the game of, and, and high impact collisions like that on hockey. It's, it's, it's inexplicable to even think because the most contact sport in the world, the NFL, football has already said that there is a connection between these two. So for whatever reason, Gary Bettman can't do it, and that guy's in the Hall of Fame now. And the, the settlement that the NHL had to dish out, and when you look at the terms of the settlement, it's absolutely nothing to what these players have to go through day in and day out of their lives. And it's something that we as fans don't think about all that often, but it is real life to them. And to them... This is all they know, and they struggle every day, and the league could not give two shits about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to add. I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, the main the problems with this suit were that it it didn't it it wasn't given class action status, and that's the reason why the payout was so small. Um, you know, a class action lawsuit baby basically has to be. Uh, so numerous in the amount of people mm -hmm. or there needs to be quote unquote commonality established. And it, it wasn't numerous enough. I think there was, uh, as you mentioned, I think there was like um, uh, two, three, 318 players who were in on it. And that, so that wasn't enough. And then I guess the, the judge didn't find uh, that there was enough commonality among the, um, the, the participants of the lawsuit to make it a class action. And so that's really the problem that happened. And like, I'm not a, a lawyer, but I, you know, it is anyone should, people should go back and listen to your podcast with Nick Boynton, because nothing I say will convey the point 
as eloquently and as passionately as Nick Boynton did in your excellent interview with him. So I would recommend that people go back and, and listen to that. But it's, uh, yeah, it's disgusting the way that the NHL um, chooses to ignore the situation. Yeah. And look, there's probably, <clears throat> there's probably no end really in sight for this. And like I said, for the, pl- for the former players that deal with these problems every day, there definitely isn't an end in sight for them. Their, their, their life is a struggle. And I feel, I feel terribly for those guys, and I feel even worse that the sport that they gave everything to, the league that they dedicated their lives to, has let them down. And that is that's the biggest tragedy of this whole thing. Is you know, you lived and died for for this league, and and they let you down, and that's the worst part about it. But I just wanted to, you know, we wanted to give our two cents on that matter because it was such a big deal. Real quick, though, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the trade today between the Los Angeles Kings and um, our biggest rivals, the Pittsburgh Penguins. So why don't you, you know, kind of briefly go over that and what this means, not only for the Flyers, but for the Metropolitan Division as a whole. So, well, first it was funny because news broke that the Penguins had made a trade, but no one knew what it was. Everyone was... uh, speculating that it could be Nylander getting traded to the Penguins, which obviously would have been a disaster for all the teams in the Eastern Conference. But it ended up being Tanner Pearson, who is a uh, former Los Angeles King now. Uh, he was a first-round pick back in 2012, and he's been good. I mean, he the last two seasons, he's put up about 40 points each. He scored 24 goals a couple of years ago. Uh, he was not doing very well this year, but then again, no one on the Kings is really doing well. I mean, that team is a complete dumpster fire, and uh, he's he's got one assist in 17 games. So, But he's, I mean, he's he's not a bad hockey player, and he's got some size to him. He's 6'1", 200. He's a good, he's a good middle six power forward who can score, is how I would kind of describe him. And he's also, his contract is pretty team-friendly. I mean, he's 26 years old, and uh, his, I think he's making $3.75 million for the next three years. Yeah, his contract's up in the summer of 2021. So he, the Penguins have him for this year and two more years at $3.75 million. He'll probably go there and, you know, play with Sidney Crosby and, and light it up. Um, and, uh, and, and what was so strange about this trade was that the, the Kings got back Carl Hagelin, who's a 30-year-old player. And the, the reason was it was a salary dump, basically. The Kings didn't want to be locked into Tanner Pearson's salary for the next two years. So they took on Carl Haglin, who's not really going to help their team that much, but his contract expires at the end of this season. So it was basically a salary dump that's going to end up helping out the Penguins, not like they need any help. Yeah, I mean, this whole salary dump thing was something that really started mostly in the NBA. Teams dump salary all the time, and you're starting to see it resonate into other leagues now and and it helps the teams you know it helps teams that need it right now and it also helps teams that don't need it right now in the long term so i mean look as far as as far as the penguins are concerned you know they they saw an opportunity to make a move and dump some salary and they did it'll probably you know i I can't imagine that they would have made a move that they didn't think would help them uh you know you, you saw a couple people that you know Obviously, when people when we all thought it was William Nylander, you know, it it was like it was like doomsday was looming in the NHL because you add him to a team that has Malkin, Crosby, Kessel, and the list goes on. That's that's big time. But thankfully, it wasn't that. This is a much lesser move than that. It should help the Penguins, um, and you know, it doesn't really make them over the top favorites in the Eastern conference, but you know, obviously the brass of the penguins loved it because Jim Rutherford then got a three-year extension a few hours later. So, I mean, it is what it is there. I mean, the penguins, the penguins are always going to be in the mix at the end of the season. And that's something that, you know, the flyers especially are going to have to deal with. And, you know, you just, hopefully you could be better than them on any given night when you play them, but we'll see the next time that happens, if that is the case. So Dan, uh, it's your favorite part of the show to give your shameless plug of your Twitter handle and your goings on. So go ahead and do that. Yeah. So uh, anyone out there can follow me on Twitter at dsilver88. That's uh, silver is in the metal. Dsilver88 and the 88 for Eric Lindros, one of my favorite flyers. Uh, you can also uh, catch 
some of my articles over at phillyisflyer.com. Got some uh, prospect articles up there, and uh, the site as a whole, we've got a lot of great content there, post-game recaps, and be sure to follow uh, at phillyisflyer on Twitter. We live-tweet games and some more uh, you know, great content there. Absolutely. And as for me, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore getting bullied. And you can follow this show. I'm sorry. You can follow the show at underscore getting bullied. You can follow me at Mark Flagman with two N's. And you can listen to us on SoundCloud. You can listen to us on Apple iTunes. And finally, introducing that we will very soon, most likely by the end of this week, be available on Google Play. So for all of you people that are big into Google Play, yes, use Google Play. Um, we will be on there, like I said, hopefully by the end of the week. The submission has is under review. There's no reason why it won't get accepted. So exciting stuff there. And also, while you're on phillyisflyer.com, if you don't want to go and open up iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud, you can go to the podcast page right there. And everything from this episode to the very first is right there for you. And, of course, that interview with Nick Boyan is there as well. So until next time, a big week for the Philadelphia Flyers ahead. They have the Devils and then a big weekend matchup against the Tampa Bay Lightning. The the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference comes into Philadelphia on Saturday, and we will see how that goes. I predict that the Flyers will upset the Lightning on Saturday after coming off a dominating win tomorrow night against the Devils. I will be right, so better. But until then... Have a good week, and let's go Flyers.